This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. Well, before we get the show started, Horse Radio Network for the first time has a wide selection of Horse Radio Network merchandise available for the holidays. Hats, saddle pads, masks, clothing, mugs, and so much more, either screen printed or embroidered. Get your orders in now for you or your HRN listening friends. Visit horseradionetwork.com and click on the banner on the homepage today. Happy holidays, everybody. Well, good Tuesday morning, everybody. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And this is Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning for the Horse Radio Network on this Tuesday, November 17th of 2020. And we're at episode 2561. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. Feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Missed it by that much. How can I change this to make it better the next time? How do I get? Yeah. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Welcome back, Christy. Hello, Jen. Every every third Tuesday of the month, Christy yes. gets to stop by. I do. You do. And we get to geek out on all things training. And the really f- unique part about the CHA show on the third Tuesday of every month is we have a tendency to focus on training the riders and the humans more so than the horses. That is true. Because we certify instructors and not trainers. There you go. And I think that's an important thing to bring up at the beginning of the show because we focus all the time training our horses, training our horses. We're all the time training our horses or untraining our horses. We need to train our horses with spec. We need to train our horses to have a good leader, blah, 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 blah. But unless the human is educated, none of that's going to happen because guess who's doing the training? The human. (laughs) True. And And pretty soon the human's getting trained by their horse if they don't know enough to do it the other way around. Oh, yes. Some horses are excellent trainers. (laughs) Yes, they are. Yes. Scooter has trained me to give him cookies way too often. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, what's coming up on today's episode uh, there, Christy? We are going to have a great day today. So first of all, Sally Batten is going to stop by and we're going to find out more about the association she started called the Athletic Equestrian League. Mm. And then next, we're going to talk about useful exercises to do in your arenas for warm up before you go on the trail or just if you want to stay in that arena. And that's with Chantel Gilead, who's a CHA certified instructor. And Jen and I are going to give you some of our geeky tips as well. Yay, I get to geek out with on riding instruction. I was a riding instructor for ma- many, many years, and I don't do it anymore. I press buttons for a living now. So it's going to be fun to kind of jump into the Wayback Machine. Yes, we're going to like it. <laughs> so we're going to dial up Sally here, see if I can dial properly. 
And while you're dallying, let me introduce. So Sally Batten is the Athletic Equestrian League founder and president. She started this association in 2010. She was the head coach of the Varsity Dartmouth College Equestrian Team for 30 years and received the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association Lifetime Achievement Award in 13 and was inducted to the IHSA Hall of Fame in 19. Wow, she's got quite the resume. Let's ring her up. Yes. Ringing, ringing. Hello. Hi, Sally. It's Jen and Christy from the Horse Radio Network. Hi, how are you? Good. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm excited. I'm excited, too. So tell all the listeners, where are we calling you from? Where do you live and how's the weather today there? I live in New Hampshire near Newfound Lake. Uh, We overlook the lake, so it's quite beautiful. And uh, the weather is pretty nice. It was snowing this morning, but it's, uh, it's mild. It's like in the 30s. New Hampshire is one of those states that I have never been to before. Oh, you need to. I do. I want to come very much so. And especially to come and sit, you know, on the patio overlooking your lake, Sally. Hey, (laughs) open invitation. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, we just finished introducing you. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in to um, finding out a little bit more. Jen is very excited today to be co-hosting with me. She's never heard of the AEL and is excited to find out more. Yes. Great. So let's go ahead and just jump right in. Tell us more about the um, Athletic Equestrian League and what you all do. Okay. So the, the Athletic Equestrian League is a riding league for first to 12th graders and adults, which is exciting that we also uh, include adults in our competition. So we say that, that we, we practice practical horsemanship for the equestrian athlete. So the, the riding league is among, uh, the competition is among barns in an area, um, and they compete on the host barns horses. So it's similar to the other, like collegiate and scholastic organizations, in that you ride uh, the, the host barns horses. So that really makes it affordable for uh you know, that the, the average rider. In other words, you're not uh, having the expense of shipping your horses everywhere. Um, the Athletic Equestrian League is offered in both English and Western. And in the English, each athlete does a uh, flat portion, which is worth 40%, a fences or ground poles portion, which is worth 40%, and then an unmounted practicum, and our practicum questions are taken from the CHA uh, composite manual. So Woo-hoo! we have, we have a, nice, uh, a t- nice tie into the CHA, and I love the manual. And uh, so that adds up to 100. So that's what they get scored on. And then in the Western, they get judged on 40% horsemanship, 40% patterns, and then 20% uh, unmounted practicum. 
I love that there is an unmounted practicum portion because we don't want to produce just riders. We want to produce horsemen and women that can one day own and work in our industry to keep our industry going. So that is so great. Exactly. Yeah. That is great, Sally. So tell us a little bit more about why you started the um, AEL to begin with. What was the whole thought process there? Well, I I worked in the collegiate world for my whole career. So I was the head um, head coach of the Varsity Dartmouth College equestrian team, and we competed in the Intercollegiate Horse Show Association, which is quite large for, for all of your listeners. In the IHSA, there are over 10,000 riders and over 450 schools. So it's a great opportunity for athletes to both get recruited to schools and also to keep riding through college. So that, that was, that was my, my main paycheck, I guess we should say. And, and my, my, um, you know, my, my love of both the students and the horses, but in around, uh, in the early two thousands, you know, I, be, I just started becoming a little more disillusioned with the whole equitation judging where it was so subjective where you were just, the riders were just put into random sections and they were just compared to each other in order to get first through six. So you could be the strongest of the weak or the weakest of the strong. And, you know, it, and there's a lot of times you don't really know why you placed the way you did. So I wanted to come up with an objective scoring system. So that's what I did. The riders are scored on the flat or in horsemanship between zero and 40. And there's a, there's a whole table that shows what the different scores mean. And they get, they do a fences. They either do a Western pattern or their fences. They memorize it ahead of time. And I wanted to bring back the horsemanship. I was tired of seeing riders standing up to halt and, and um, you know, not, not having those good basics that we all learned, you know, when we were growing up. So I put those into a fences test and they get scored and they get judges comments and then they do their unmounted practicum. So the riders not only have a score and something to work on, um, but they get to take home the judges comments. So that that's really why I developed it. And in 2010, I launched it with um, with uh, 22 riders. And a uh, year before 2019 at nationals, we had around 150 riders. So that's really exciting to see how it's grown. And I also, I, I you know, I, I listened to parents and they wanted their, they, they don't want to go to a horse show and watch their kid ride for five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the afternoon. So the athletes do their flat, then their fences, then their practicum. I listened to coaches who wanted to bring back horsemanship, exactly what you just said. And uh, so I brought in the, the unmounted practicum so that the riders were learning all of those important horsemanship skills. So that's, that's basically how it all started and, and the dip, some of the differences. Also, um, riders' parents don't have the high expense of show clothes. The athletes wear more athletic attire, so they wear their boots and breeches or, or jodhpurs, and um, they wear a team, like a quarter zip or a sun shirt, and they can have their name on it. They can have their team's name on it, and then, of course, the helmet, but um, it's more athletic attire. 
I love when you mentioned that you wanted to bring back the horsemanship because, you know, I would be remiss if I did not mention that running certified yes. horsemanship association. And right. I still teach right. riding myself. I pretty much am on my computer all day, but I also still still teach riding to get off this computer. And just last night, yeah. I had a little student that's just started with me. She was with another instructor before me. I think this is like her third lesson. And she did. She stood up in her stirrups to stop her horse. And I went, what yeah. are you doing? <laughs> she went, what? And so I went, you've got to sit first. The seat aid is the most important aid. We had a whole conversation about natural aids and the order they should be executed and all that kind of stuff. So it's just so funny that you mentioned standing up at your stirrup. So that just right. happened to be last night. Yeah, right, exactly. And, and I would have these high level equitation kids that would come to me at Dartmouth and I would say, how many beats in the canner? And they'd say, um, two. Yeah. You know, wow. just, just no no clue. So it was when, when I was still coaching at Dartmouth, it was very important to me. And I taught them all horsemanship and they had weekly quizzes while they warmed up for practice. And oh, yeah. So I, I've, I've been doing it for a long time, not just through the AEL. Right. Oh, it, it becomes lifelong. And, you know, even us as instructors, we're constantly learning from our students, our horses and others, aren't we? It is a lifelong journey. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yes, definitely. So, Sally, how does hosting an AEL team benefit, let's say, some of our CHA instructors, barns and businesses, other people that are listening who have a barn and business? How would it benefit them? Right. Well, you know, th there's multiple ways. In, in regular collegiate and scholastic showing, the, the, the only thing that's announced is the rider's number. So, it's, you know, the exciting part, it'd be like going to the Olympics. And, and having them just say, next up is number 347. Oh, okay, what, who are they and what country are they from, right? So um, in, in AEL, the rider's uh, name and uh, barn name is announced as they come in. So that helps spread the um, publicizes the, the barn names. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, teams come and ride the host barns horses. So you have all of those riders at any competition coming in. And a lot of the barns use that to publicize their sale horses. Um, there's a whole, there's a horse list with all of the, the aids, like if they need spurs or crop or whatever. And then a lot of them will say right on there, you know, this horse is for sale, talk to the barn owner. So there's that. Um, coaches or trainers can charge. I like to call them coaches more than trainers. I think that, I think that all of us are coaches and, and I prefer to use that word. So they can charge uh, coaching fees for each athlete, just like at a open show where you charge co coaches fee to, to coach the, the athlete at the competition, same thing. And um, hosting the competitions also can help bring in revenue to your farm. Very good. And where primarily are these barns? Um, can anyone all around the country jump on board? How does that work? Yes, yes, definitely. I mean, right now, uh, most of our teams are in New England, New York, Long Island. Uh, we've had some teams start last year in Virginia. I'm about to get some teams started in Texas, which is very exciting. Um, we had some teams for a while in Ohio. We have a couple teams in California. So Basically, all that you need is one other barn to get started. So if you say, wait a minute, I'm in Oklahoma, there's no, there's no other barns that are doing this. Well, all you do is 
talk to one of your trainer friends, get someone else going. Or if you have a very large program, um, the uh, Stanford barn uh, team in California, just they had a large team and they didn't have any other barns close by. So they just divided their team into two and they kind of huh? scrimmaged each other. Yeah. So very you smart. can do that. Yeah. Ultimately, obviously, you want to get other barns going. But the, the thing is, AEL is so fun. It's like infectious. You know, you, you, you go to the competition and, and kids and parents and, and coaches are having fun and are smiling. And it, it really is like a, like a big family. And definitely sometimes you lose that in, in the quote unquote real horse show world. So, you know, that, that's, uh, that's how teams can get started. Very good. And we would be remiss in this uh, 2020 year to not mention, have you had to adapt during these times of COVID? Yes. Or, yeah, so what yes. all have you been doing? Well, um, most of our uh, competitions have gone virtual. So normally, if you were uh, doing a traditional equitation uh, competition, you couldn't really have it done virtually because they have to be scored against each other in the class. Right. But because we have this scoring system, we, it, it, it kind of AEL was tailor made for the world of virtual competition, really, because the um, riders do a video of their flat or horsemanship portion, and then the video of their fences and it gets sent in to judges. And because of COVID, I've, I've been able to, get coaches from all over the country um, to coach these competitions. And they're really excited. The coaches love it because they can spend a lot of time writing. Remember, these score sheets have a lot of comments or right. places for comments. In a normal competition, there just isn't time. But they're really enjoying be able, being able to, um, you know, write comments and they can stop the video and go back and, and replay it. And we've also gone virtual. I haven't discussed yet. Um, you know, I, I mentioned in the beginning that it's for uh, first through 12th graders and adults. We also started this year AEL Collegiate. So we have a collegiate competition going on right now that's all virtual because all these colleges, if their kids aren't on campus, some of them are half and half. So they can still compete as a team because they're sending in videos. So it um, really, our, our nationals in 2019 were planned to be at Mount Holyoke College like prior years. And because of COVID, we had to cancel, but we were still able to have our national championships because it was, um, we could go virtual. And we had almost as many entered as we would have with live competition. Well, that's such a good idea. Your coaches have become educators. Oh, right. Yeah. And they yeah. want to educate. And now they get to be more educators than ever before because they can actually, like you said, write more comments and do more things. I know I judge a little bit on the side and I have this wonderful scribe that always comes with me because she has way better penmanship than me is primarily why right. she comes. Right. But um, she always says to me, she goes, I never got to look up once and see a single jump. She said, because yeah. I was so busy writing down all your comments and I go, I know that's why I have you. 
because I want to say a lot. Right. Right. So I think that's right. so great that they're, they're able to do that more. And that's a positive, right? We have so many people grumbling yeah. right now. That's a positive yeah. about what's going on. So that's really a good way to spin it. I like that. Now you yeah, had mentioned, it's, it's, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. It's fun that the Virginia athletes can compete along with the new England athletes too. You know? Yes, that's true. Yeah. Kind yep. of makes yep. the, you can go all across the country with that. So you had mentioned the national championship being mainly at Mount Holyoke. Is that going to continue in the future? Or are you going to spread it around? Uh, well, I'd love to spread it around. We were planning on having it this year at, at the Dana Hall school, which is still in Massachusetts. But uh, yeah, as soon as we get, we get more teams around the country, I would, I would love to spread it around. And, and I think that that will happen. There, it just has to be an area basically that has the number of horses and number of school horses. It, it's hard to run a kind of a catch riding national championship with privately owned horses because they're not used to all those different hands and seats on them. Right. But, you know, any area that has a, a really nice group of school horses and oh, the horses, I can't. I would be remiss to not talk about these angelic, <laughs> fantastic horses that that enable these kids to have these fantastic rounds and and keep everybody safe. So that I'd love for the nationals to move around. And um, this year, I'm I'm getting some questions about trying to have it live, but uh, it's just you know how much work goes into planning a national anything such as your yes. your CHA instructors symposium and all that stuff so uh, I suspect it'll be virtual this year but I'm sure hoping that for 2022 or we'll be live again for sure well, I'm so glad you mentioned the school horses we do a big awards competition every year and one of the award winners we um, give a big trophy to and all kinds of stuff is our school horse of the year. And yeah. the school horse of the year is just amazing. So that's one more thing for, you know, your members to think about is if they became just an individual member, they could also submit these wonderful school horses. And then we could do a big write up about how they're part of AEL because that really is important for people to see, Oh my gosh, these school horses are saints, like you said, and whether they're at a yeah. camp or whether they're at a riding barn or whether they're doing these kinds of horse shows for all these different people that right. are getting on them and catch riding. That's amazing. Right. And our nationals, we do have a um, horse of the show. Oh, good. Award. Oh, yeah. Very good. Yeah. And do the um, kids and um, things get to vote for that horse? Yes, definitely. Good. Love it. Yeah. Yeah. The way it yep. should be done. So, Sally, yeah, how? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I was just going to mention we're, we're going to be having a December Fest kind of a costume contest slash um, you know, holiday extravaganza. And, and one of the questions is going to be, you know, or one of the contests is name your favorite school horse. And they're going to have to write a little essay about why. So we're, <laughs> we're also putting some of the writing skills that are so important too. Good. Yeah, they need to do that. I'll tell you, uh, spell check and Grammarly have become the daily thing here at my yeah. house, my homeschooling children. And it's like, no, you still need to know how to spell and do grammar. Yeah. So <laughs> sure. I think that's For good. Sure. Um, yeah. So how do interested teams become involved? What is the uh, order of go to do that? Well, they can contact me and uh, the, the 
best place, easiest place to go to is www.athleticequestrian.com. And they can look around everything that any team would need about becoming a member, cost, uh, running a competition, uh, where to get your, you know, show shirts, all that stuff is all on that website. Plus, you can contact me through there. But my email is athleticequestrian at gmail.com. So website, athleticequestrian.com. My email, athleticequestrian at gmail.com. And I love to talk to people about it. I'm I was kind of hoping that I wouldn't be talking too fast today because I'm so passionate about it and I get so excited. So hopefully, hopefully I've been under somewhat control here today. <laughs> yes. No, I think it's been great. And then what else is on the horizon for AEL? What are your plans for the future? I know you've just survived the first 10 years. What's up for the next 10? <laughs> well, and, and you know, it, it's athletic equestrian is, is kind of a, a broad umbrella. So um, with the Athletic Equestrian League, I hope to keep spreading into every state. Uh, we just added Vermont. We just added Connecticut. So now we've got all the New England states. You know, I, I talked a little bit about Texas. But um, hopefully uh, we can spread that. And then there's a couple other arms. I also have a, a clinic business where I teach clinics all over the country. I teach in Hawaii. I teach in Alaska. I got to do an instructor's clinic and do clinics in South Africa. So there's that piece of it. COVID has put a little bit of a damper on that, but I, I teach my clinics the way that I taught uh, my team kids. So it's a lot of athletic, uh, you know, conditioning. I, I teach something I call exercise that's kind of like aerobics on horseback. Um, I taught, teach mental toughness. I teach all the things that, that my team had to do to be so successful through the years. And then most exciting is I have a book that'll be coming out in 22 and it's going to be published by horse and rider books, uh, Trafalgar publishing, and it's called athletic equestrian ride like a varsity athlete. So all of the things that I that I teach in my clinics and that are kind of my my whole you know mantra and my whole philosophy of teaching will be in this book. So I'm really excited for that. So Sally, how do you have time to sleep? <laughs> <laughs> you know, wow, what? That, that's a funny question because you know I started. Um, AEL in 2010 while I was still working full-time at Dartmouth. I was the national steward of the IHSA. You know, I did all these things and I I retired from Dartmouth in 2019 and I was still so busy. And then along comes COVID and I'm like, oh my gosh, what, what am I going to do? But I've learned how to just slow down a little bit and, and, you know, keep in touch with, friends and reach out to family. And, um, you know, I have three children also, they're all, they're all grown and, uh, love you guys, by the way. And, uh, they're all off on their own, but, um, you know, we keep in touch. And one of my, one of my children, one of my daughters, uh, works for me for the AEL and for athletic equestrian. So, you know, I, I do sleep 
fine. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> she, in other words, she doesn't know when she sleeps, but she's pretty sure she does it at some point. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, my, my mind is always working. I, I, you know, I hike my dogs now with COVID. Like I used to just hike them three miles a day. Now we're doing like five, seven, eight. My dogs are the ones in the pictures that you see online, like rolling their eyeballs. Oh God. We yes. have to hike again. Not again. But, awesome. Yeah. But <laughs> But while I'm while I'm hiking, I'm my mind is always working on you know what what else I can do to to help the horse world. So yeah, for sure. Well, Sally, it was so good to have you on today to share all of these different things. Um, I learned a lot more, and I know Jen did too. So that is just great. Not to mention everyone that's listening and will listen to the recording as well later. So go ahead and let everyone know again what the website is and how um, and if you have any social media or anything else about how they can find you. Yep, it's um, it's www.athleticequestrian.com. My email is athleticequestrian at gmail.com. We're on Facebook and Instagram, both uh, Athletic Equestrian League and Athletic Equestrian and uh, Sally Batten Equestrian Clinic. So we, we have a lot of social media. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much, Sally, for being on. We so appreciate um, you sharing more about the AEL. It's just a wonderful organization and it's just growing, which I think is wonderful. So thanks again. Okay. Thanks for having me, Christy and Jen. Great thanks, to Sally. To you. It was great to get to know you. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Wow. She's a busy, you're right. When does she sleep? Yeah. When she mentioned the book, I went, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have time to write a book. That was awesome. Yeah. I would I would love to chat with her a little bit once the book comes out and talk a little bit more about what she's put into there. Yes. Yeah. Wouldn't that be neat to know? I agree. Maybe we'll have her back on for that. Cool. Well, you you have been busy as usual. And uh, I we chatted a little bit before we got started this morning. And you did your virtual events since we talked last. So tell everybody about what virtual event just happened, how it went. And because this is CHA and we're all about helping others learn how to be better at what they do, talk a little bit about how successful it was and why you think others should try it. Yes. And try from both sides. If you have, you've been like, oh, I don't want to get on another, you know, Zoom thing or whatever. Don't think like that as that because people are being very creative right now and some are really, really fun. Um, I have a chicken that lives in my house. It's the show chicken for my son and she wins all these prizes. So she has to live in the house. She's when a show get started. Chicken. Oh my God. Yeah. She got to live in the house. So we were on a Zoom call the other day with um, a group and I just stuck her on my shoulder. Oh, my gosh. So here's all these bobbing heads, you know, looking like the Muppet characters, right? Just bobbing along. And then all of a sudden, somebody private messages me. Is that a chicken on your shoulder? Because she's small. She's little bantam. And I said, yep. And then pretty soon, more people are private messaging me. P- pretty soon, somebody messages the whole group. There's a chicken on Christy's shoulder. Pretty soon, I stopped the meeting. It was super funny. But we have to have fun in this world, right? We can't just take ourselves so seriously. And, oh, my gosh, otherwise, it's kind of painful. So we had one that was super fun. We had our instructors um, turn in video ahead of time of themselves teaching. So, for example, Joanne Young with Houghton College that's been on this show numerous times as a guest for us, she taught the half pass. With her four college riders up. Really? Awesome. And she explained how to do the half pass, all the things you have to do ahead of time before you can get to the half pass. And then we did the half pass at the walk, the trot, and the canner. And it was building blocks upon themselves. Meanwhile, she was on 
the um and we did we did go to webinar and go to meeting is the platforms we used and so she was on there ahead of time um and she introduced herself by webcam and talked a little bit about her program bam went right into her video after her 45 minute video was over she then answered questions for everybody that was on live you guys really you guys cool. are are masters at organizing these things because we attended the um in person CHA annual meeting one year which by the way was a blast and it went so smoothly. Oh, thank you. It did. Information was right there where you needed to have it. It was intuitive where to find it. Because so many times you go to these conferences, and if you're not familiar with it, if you've not been there before, you're, you're kind of wide-eyed going, okay, I need this information, but where do I go to find it? And it's there, but it's not necessarily intuitive. You go to place A to get the information. They go, oh, no, no, no. We don't have that here. You got to go over Correct. there. Well, why would I go over there? And you yep. guys really think it through from the point of view of um, both the returning instructors and members, but you also put a lot of thought into how to make it a fun, easy, pleasant experience for the first time attendee. And you keep in mind that horse people tend to be a little bit introverted. We're great with talking to horses. But, but not we're, so much with the public. Yep, not so much with people. Be. So we can feel a little bit uncomfortable when we have to approach people we don't know and ask them some questions that we perceive as, oh, I should know this. And that can be a little bit stressful for people and it can be a barrier to entry, as they say. And I love how you guys put thought into that. Well, and for those listening, the recording is available now. So even though it was live with... um. We had over 140 some odd live. Wow. Um, you can now go ahead and get the recording. And the recording uh, is the full eight hours, which for our folks, they need 25 um, hours. So it is almost a whole year's worth because they need 25 hours of CEUs every three years to stay certified. So that's now become a marketable item on our website that anybody can purchase. And it's edited now. So all the, because we had a couple of, you know, bloopers during the day, as you can imagine, with computers crashing, whatever. But we had three organizers on there. So it was myself and two others. So if my computer crashed, one of the others just dove right in. So you couldn't really tell the bloopers too much. Look at which you. Which was super good. What a pro. Yeah, so we had a lot of stuff going on. And then we also used GoToMeeting for our awards ceremony and also for our annual meeting. And what was so much fun about GoToMeeting is unlike GoToWebinar, where you can't see each other because you don't want to interrupt the recording, GoToMeeting, GoToWebinar, we recorded too, but it was much more light. We let everybody share their webcam. We let everybody chit-chat at the beginning. We went ahead and did the deal. And then at the end, we said, okay, we're stopping the recording. Now everyone can chit-chat some more. And after the awards banquet, it was like we had gone down to the hotel bar to have a beverage. Everyone stayed. Oh, that's so cool. And we just chatted and we got caught up and we said like things like, hey, Ward, you've grown a goatee. Nice, dude. And <laughs> hey, Mariana, are you making your pot holders like you normally do when you come to conference? She goes, no, I'm stringing green beans right now. Excellent. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I have one of those pot holders. <laughs> yes, you know her well. Yes. You know Mariana well. Yes. So it was just super fun to have that. And all this, of course, went on in two days. So it was a little bit overwhelming for, you know, the staff, which is myself and Terry and Danielle that put it on. But we were able to get it done. And now my biggest concern was the recording. Well, it went up into the cloud somewhere, recorded perfect, even as computers are crashing and things are happening. And nobody had any idea about any of that. And the recording looks perfect. So we we were very pleased with how it all turned out. And we think that all of you out there that are thinking about doing one, be brave. Do it. And anybody out there that's thinking about attending one, do it. 
super fun and put a chicken on your shoulder and be entertaining. Yeah. And if, if you want to dive deep and do one that is significant, like the CHAs was, I suspect that there's a certain person within the CHA that could help you out with how that happened behind the scenes. The educator is willing and able. You let me know what you need and I will help you. That's right. You yes. just you just put the CHA logo behind your head on the camera and you shall help you all you want. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is one of the things that we did. We have I have a huge CHA banner logo um, banner board behind me because those virtual ones sometimes make you look pixelated. Yes. And I didn't want my office. I don't want to clean my office. No, no. desire. No. So I have the actual huge backdrop that we normally use at international conference in my office, this living on the wall. And then I close myself off into like a little cubicle when I do anything via my webcam. And that's what I use the whole day to transition speakers and I was the MC of the event and I'll tell you our speakers were wonderful we had four that did it by video and four that actually did very interactive powerpoints with videos included we had Johan Slege talking about saddle fit and he actually showed the back of the horse from up top to show how the scapula um, comes back and hits the saddle if your saddle doesn't fit right I mean it just went on and on the education was really amazing Pretty darn very, cool. Very Pretty darn cool. Yep. To find out that and all the other goodies that you just talked about, where do people go on the web? All you have to do is CHA.horse. And when you get there, you go under the education tab or the store and you can find it either way. There we go. Now, moving right along. We're just flying along today. Let's get to our next guest. I'm going to hit the, the dial button and you tell us who we're going to be talking to. Absolutely. So our next guest is Chantel Gilead, and she is a instructor for us, which is super. She operates CSG Horsemanship, which is a holistic horsemanship-focused lesson and training stable in the Adirondacks of New York. Mm, she also raises beef cattle and sheep, and her lesson horses double as working ranch horses. She's an active volunteer and leader in her state and county 4-H horse program and a regional director for the New York State Horse Council. All right, let's get her ringing. I love. I have. I have such respect for ranch horses. They got such good brains. Oh my gosh! And the fact that they do lessons and ranch, they can do it all. They can right? do it all. Hello. Hi, Chantel. This is Christy and Jen from Horses in the Morning. Oh, hi. How are you guys? Doing good. How are you? Hello. Hi. We're still here. Oh, we're uh, we're doing here. We're doing well here. It's getting a little chilly. <laughs> a little chilly right now. <laughs> Well, tell everyone who's listening where exactly um, you live and how everything's going there in the beautiful section of New York. Oh, awesome. Um, So I live in this uh, tiny town called Willsboro, New York. Um, We are right at the base of the Adirondack Mountains. Um, So about, oh, I don't know, I think we're about 40 minutes away from Lake Placid. So we get to go up there and hang out at the horse shows in the summer. It's pretty neat. Um, and then we're right between that and the Lake Champlain. So we're in the Champlain Valley. And uh, I'm a little biased, but I think it's probably one of the more beautiful places in the world. So, Wow. All of our guests today have lived by lakes, Jen. I'm feeling a little jealous right now. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'll have to reconsider where we live and go live by a lake for a little while. <laughs> Yeah, it's nice. You know, you get to go uh, boating in the summertime and then go trail riding on your horse and do a little hiking. It makes for a, makes for a nice nice little corner of the planet. So, uh, yeah. Well, before we got you uh, on, I introduced you. Tell us a little bit more about those lesson horses that double as working ranch horses. That's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. So um, we, my family has a 200-plus acre farm. 
um, and we raise cattle and sheep. Um, so my horses are pretty much full-time, full-time lesson horses, but uh, every once in a while we have some calves to sort or uh, push them from paddock to paddock. So we pull them out and uh, everybody from the, the little pony to the big grass cross has to go out and, and have a little bit of a job to do. Um, I think some of them like it more than others, uh, <laughs> but they, uh, yeah, so it makes, it makes their lives a little interesting and, um, and, uh, it's nice to say I've got a bunch of working ranch horses. So. And what kind of students yeah. do you teach? Do you teach small kids, high schoolers, college kids, adults, a variety? Who all do you teach? Sure. So I have a, um, kind of an interesting mix. Um, we're, we're pretty heavy, uh, heavy tur- tourist industry here. Um, so I do have a cadre of year-round school-age um, students, so, you know, I would say elementary up to high school. Um, and then during the summer, we have, uh, you know, quite a number of adult students. Um, so these, these are people usually with second homes, and they're looking for a fun summer hobby. So, um, so I have quite the mix. Um, but I would say the majority is definitely school-age children, um, especially because I'm really heavily involved with 4-H. So there's a lot of cross crossover between lesson students and 4-Hers. That's really good. So we're going to dive into our topic today, which for those that are just joining us is um, arena exercises and how to go ahead and do a bunch of those different ones that'll help you and your horse. So Let's dive in. I love how you put, um, it looks pretty simple to anyone watching from the ground. It's just turning the horse in a circle, right? Ha ha. And I, it made me laugh out loud when I read that uh, because we all know how hard that is. So why yeah. do we spend time and energy turning our horse in a circle? Why do we bother doing that? Sure. So um, you're going to have to forgive me if I get a little bit, uh, if I ha- give you a little bit of a scholarly treatise here. Um, but what I tell everyone is, for me, the coolest thing about riding horses is it's basically all physics class, right? Um, so when you are riding your horse, you're de- you are dealing with Newton's first law of motion, which is, and again, I apologize for being scholarly here, but, um, you know, an object in motion wants to remain in motion. And the larger the mass, the more they want to remain in motion, that's inertia, right? Um, so for horses we're really big, right? Even your smallest ponies are several hundred pounds. So any change in their motion besides just barreling on forward is going to take some effort. Um, and, and the difference too is that, you know, we as humans, we only have to worry about two legs. And if we need to change direction or turn around, we can do that pretty absentmindedly. And to be honest, uh, some of us have a harder time with that than others. Like I know I have two left feet. Um, so if you imagine the horse, you've got four feet, four feet they have to deal with, and they have this massive amount of body body weight that they have to deal with. So any change of direction, uh, you know, like I said, besides barreling on straight forward, is going to take some literal legwork and effort. Um, so, you know, the, the good thing here is that horses are really, really, really good at this. Um, and you can, you can tell because if you watch them out in the pasture, they're really athletic and agile and they can buck and run and turn and pivot and, and do all that stuff that you wish you could do really easily on their back when you're in the ring. Um, but the reason that they can do all this stuff is they have some really, really great built-in sort of like natural mechanisms to deal with the problem of their giant mass. Um, 
And a couple of these are, and honestly, I have been reading this really great recently. Um, it was by Simon Kokoza. So, sorry, I'm pretty excited uh, to throw out some pretty scientific terms here for you. But um, the first thing they can do is that they can actually lift through their thoracic flanks. They don't have a collarbone, and they can raise and lower their chest um, between their shoulder blades. And where you kind of see this is, in my mind, um, the classic example of, say, a rollback or a pirouette. You know, when you watch the horse do that, you can see how he's lifting his chest. Um, the, the other mechanism that they have, and these are just like a little, uh, just a couple samples of, of what they can do. Um, the other mechanism they have is the nuchal ligament, kind of keeps their back always engaged for motion. So if you see Rainer's loping or galloping around the ring, uh, they can do that with their head stretched out nice and down, their necks really stretched out, and they can go at a pretty high speed just because of that nuchal ligament there. Um, and they also have the ability to tilt their pelvis in a way that it kind of lifts their um, it, it makes their low, their hind legs stretch up underneath them so they can really load their haunches. Um, so these are all pretty cool little tricks that they have built in. And it, it looks all super easy and it sounds really great. But the problem is that when you add a rider, <laughs> everything changes. Um, I think the dark secret that we don't like to talk about as, as horseback riders is that they're not really designed to carry us. Um, so when you put a rider on a horse's back, it's as if that rider is a packed backpack that you're taking on a mountain hike. Um, if you pack it the wrong way, if you set it in the wrong place, if it's the wrong size, um, you can unbalance the hiker or in this case, the horse. Um, and then, you know, the horse also has to account for the, the mass of that rider being on top of them and that rider's balance or more specifically the lack thereof. Um, so, you know, even though we're just turning on a circle, it's so simple. We actually have to do some work to prepare them to be able to do that, to help them do that. And ultimately, the ultimate goal is just to stay out of their way so that they can go around that circle or do that turn or you know, do a little bit more complicated things like a pivot, um, a, a turn around a barrel, a rollback. Um, so that we can do those things really, really athletically and just as agile as we see them doing it in the pasture. Um, so, so yeah, it's complicated just because we're sitting on their back. Um, I, I hope that answers that question. It does. <laughs> it I love, no, I love all <laughs> your science. Cause I think a lot of people listening love that science too. I love all of that. And you know, the part that really resonated with me, because I have to say it numerous times too, when I teach stay out of your horse's way. So, I have a son, and he was learning how to do the Gymkhana games this year. And 4-H, he decided he wanted to try that. And he's 16, and he's a big kid. He's over 6'2". He's like 6'2 and a half right now. But he only he doesn't weigh much. You know, he's tall. Yeah, he's a big <laughs> backpack, but a very lanky backpack, right? With a lot of leg that he right. can wrap around the horse's barrel to stay in the middle. But he still wanted to use his hands. And it was so funny. He was the only boy doing the bell race. And after he came out, all the girls looked at him and just went, oh, my gosh, I want to ride your horse. Just stay out of his way. And your time is going to go up by 10 seconds. Seriously, stop hitting him in the face with the race. And I had a nothing snaffle on him because I knew that, you know, he'd accidentally bump him in the mouth. Sure enough, he started listening to the girls because, you know, girls are way more fun to listen to than mom. So he goes back out there and he puts his hands where they're supposed to be and just rides that horse with his legs and seat. And, oh, yeah, he beat the girls. 
girls. And they went, seriously, Sean? Seriously, now you're beating us? I mean, it was hilarious. But you're so right about stay out of their way. The horse knows how to move its body. Stay out of their way. So I love that part. So we have um, a bunch of orders of exercises that you like to do. So it says here you enjoy doing half circle to circle and then figure eight. And then you call it a four-leaf clover. Can you explain why you do the exercises in that order? Sure. So the the half circle, or I, I actually usually call it the half turn, is the very first thing you learn when you learn to stop, go, and change direction. Um, and I'm I'm really picky. So even in the very first lesson, when I teach them how to just change direction in the ring, um, I give them very specific instructions on how you want to do a half turn or a half circle. Um, and and you know that just pulling at your horse's mouth. You know, that's, um, I break it down into eyes, feet, leg, and hands. And that's how you use um, your cues in that order. The hand should always be the very last thing you do. Uh, because if you pull on that inside leg and just turn your horse around, you've automatically unbalanced them. Um, so, so my sort of theory is if you start with the half circle and you get that really perfect, even from your very first lesson, um, you're going to be able to properly ride it at the walk. And then when you move up to the trot or jog, um, you're going to be able to do that without the horse breaking gait, um, without the horse coming out of the circle, without doing it too small or too fast, uh, too small or too large. So I just, we, we start that process about thinking about keeping your horse balanced, even from the very, very first lesson. Um, then you know, once once we've gotten that past that, past that point of stop, go, turn, uh, can you walk and trot, um, we start working on circles. Um, and I actually do a little bit of a very specific exercise um, when we start learning how to do a circle. Because, again, it's, it's way more complicated than, than you think it is. Um, and there, you know, most riders at this point, they've done enough half circles where I've, where I've shouted... I see leg and hand at them again and again. Um, so what we do, so they're a little prepared, but what we do is I set up a clock face. So I use uh, a number of cones, and I put a cone out for every number on the clock. Um, and then the instruction that I give them is that you want to put your outside hand as though it's hovering over the numbers on the clock face. And then what I do is I explain very quickly, you know, make sure that that outside hand is hovering over the numbers on the clock face, and you're going to use your inside leg to keep the horse as close to the cones as you can without knocking them over. Um, and now, well, I'll help them as, as necessary, um, but I don't want to go into too much prompting, because if I give just those two tools to the students, the outside rein and the inside leg, and I should say, um, you know, some of my horses are more finished, and they could definitely go one hand in the neck rein, but it, regardless, I always use a snaffle bridle to direct them. Um, and so I just give them those tools and ask them to move from number to number. And we'll start small, you know, you start with, okay, let's go to 12 to 3, 3 to 6, um, until you can get all the way around and go multiple times around. And what's really cool is with if you just kind of let the person figure it out for themselves, and it depends on the age range, obviously, but um, you'll sort of figure out that, or you'll, you'll see that the student will sort of start inadvertently teaching themselves 
extending an indirect rain just because they sort of start to realize that to keep the horse as close to those cones without knocking the one next to them, the one ahead of them, or the one behind them over, they have to bend that horse. Um, so you see a little bit of problem solving, and that's, that's really neat. Um, so, so that's how we start that. And then we move on to the, the figure eight. And that's really the next logical step, right? So by that point, I've usually turned, um, I've taken my clock face away. Um, by the way, I should I should throw in that if you're going to use something like clock face, you have to be really careful with like the younger students because a bunch of them <laughs> do not understand clock faces. They're so used to reading the time on digital clocks. Oh, yes. Um, I know. I, I feel like an old person whenever I run into <laughs> that issue. But, uh, <laughs> that's funny. I didn't even think about that. That's funny. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so then we move on to the figure eight, and again, you know, you've, you've kind of got their two imaginary clock faces, but but now you are you have that change of bend right in the middle. So that kind of adds on to the the step of difficulty. But um, you know, that's that's easy to overcome. You just once you start adding speed, the the trot, and then you know you start to do a simple change to the canter. Um, if you're lucky, you start doing flying changes. Uh, that actually you know that adds a level of complexity. Um, but once you sort of mastered those first three key exercises, then I move on to the four-leaf clover. That's what I call it. Um, I actually, I mean, I've done this, you know, everyone's done this exercise before, but I use it a lot now. Um, after I actually picked it up uh, from Jesse Westfall at last year's international conference. Yes. Um, and I just really liked the the ways that he sort of incorporated it into focusing on different things. But um, just, I'm going to try to explain it without confusing everyone, but you've got four cones set up in a square, um, and you can adjust the size accordingly. But essentially, you start in the middle of the square of cones, and you head out in a straight line outside the square of cones, and you will turn left around the first cone, and you're going to basically do like three quarters of a circle um, around the first cone, then head straight through the middle of the square again, until you get to the next cone or you turn left again. And you keep going on like this until you've gone around all four cones. And then I usually have you halt right in the middle of that. Um, and this is kind of cool because, you know, now you're going from staying on a circle, staying on a turn to adding a straight line. Um, and, and honestly, this one's really challenging even for me. Um, you know, it's really challenging to, to make sure that all your circles around the cones are the same size. Um, it's hard to keep going. You know, the horse gets a little bit, at least my, my very lazy lesson horses, they get a little bit harder to keep going after that second cone. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so it's a really good litmus test. If you haven't done your homework on, you really haven't been paying attention on the lower three exercises, the figure eight, the circle, the half circle, you're going to see all of those, um, that the little bit of laziness turn up in this exercise. And, and it's really versatile. Um, I, I often add for my English students that are working on over fences exercises, I'll add like what I call a little bounce box. So that's a little square of ground poles or small jumps right in the middle of that. And um, that really helps make sure that no one's rushing to the jumps. No one is lagging behind. Um, everyone's staying on rhythm and counting their strides. Um, and then for Western students who are interested in Chimkana, I'll replace those cones with barrels or poles. 
um, and that definitely gets them a little bit more of a mindset that when they go to a gymkhana, okay, you know, it's just like we practice at home. I might be doing a barrel turn here, but it's just like that four-leaf clover exercise. I've got to make sure that I am putting enough space that I'm staying nice and circular um, and that I'm going to turn this into a straight line coming out of here. So, um, so yeah, that's why I kind of use that progression of exercises. That sounds great. I was actually visually drawing that as you were explaining it. You're a good uh, teacher because I could totally see what you were talking about there. No, that was that was really good. So you're you're explaining all these things like the circles, the figure eights, the four leaf clover. Does the size of those circles matter? How do you work with those? Yes, absolutely. So um, obviously, the smaller the circle, the harder it gets. Um, so we always want to start with a fairly large circle. So even when you're doing your half turn or half circle, you, you know, I always tell my students that, um, to make it easy on yourself in the beginning, your half circle should always be, well, how should I explain this? The diameter of your half circle, so if it was an actual circle, you have a diameter there. It should be the, the length of your horse nose to tail plus a half. Um, so horse and a half wide, uh, that's that's the, the size you're going to start with. And then obviously larger when you're doing actual circles or figure eights. Um, and then once you've got those really balanced, you can start to make, you know, once you've mastered them, you're able to keep your horse going rhythmically, evenly, you know, nice and forward without the gate breaking. Um, then you start making it smaller. And I mean, sure we, I'm sure we've all been there doing that spiraling exercise where we spiral in and spiral out and spiral in and spiral out. Um, you can do that on, on anything. You can do that, um, you know, you can practice making half circles, larger and smaller, larger and smaller. You can alternate the sizes of your circles on that four-leaf clover. Obviously, you can do that on a circle or figure eight. And the way that I compare that is I say it's just, when you start alternating the sizes of those circles, it's just like your horse doing weightlifting reps at the gym. Um, you know, it, it changes how much effort and strength he has to put into it, and it also challenges you to kind of adjust what you're doing um, to accommodate the size of the circle and make sure that you're staying balanced and, again, staying out of your horse's way and making his job as easy as possible. Um, so, yeah, that's that's why we kind of play with sizes. and and uh, and again, if you're having trouble making it smaller, go go wider, go larger until you fix that up, and then go back to doing something smaller. Very good. And how do these exercises help with rhythm and tempo? Mm-hmm. So, um, so I I do specifically talk about that because, um, you know, beginning with that half circle. At the walk, it seems really, really, really easy. But then the minute you start doing it at the trot, you know, the first couple of times, inevitably, if you've got a, a decent-hearted lesson horse, he's just going to walk if you're not doing it right. Um, and from that very point, you have to start thinking about your rhythm and tempo, right? Um, and I always get them mixed up, so I'm just going to throw out the official CHA definition. <laughs> but rhythm is the pattern of beats within a stride, and I think tempo is um, the number of beats, you know, in, in a specific period of time. Um, and if either of those are out of whack, so if the pattern of his footballs is really inconsistent, you know, like he's taking a little bit of a longer stride here, a little bit of a shorter step there, or your tempo is way too slow or way too fast, 
your horse is going to be really hard to keep going on a circle. Or he's going to fall in and make that circle smaller by bringing his shoulder in. Or he's going to run out of the circle because he can't, he just can't turn through it. Um, so if you are having a lot of trouble on the circle, that's a really good tell. Um, and if you can't keep rhythm and tempo on a circle, I can absolutely guarantee you that you can't do it on a straight line. Um, now, when we're trotting up the field to go around with some cows, you not, do not care about that so much. Um, but the minute you walk into a dressage ring, <laughs> you're gonna, someone's going to have something to say about it. Yes. Um, so, so, you know, and, and again, always the best fix is go slower. Um, so if you're having trouble doing it at the trot or you're having trouble doing it at the canter, go all the way down, get it 110% at the walk, and then start moving back up into a higher gait. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why, that's my advice on that. And I know that a lot of these things like circling and turning requires bend. So don't you have to learn how to bend prior? How does that all work? Sure. So, um, you can, well, you know, if you're teaching, you can teach a student how to bend first, um, or you can go and figure out how to bend first. Uh, but kind of like I mentioned before, the reason I like that, that clock face exercise so much is sometimes just finding out the mechanics of how to do a circle first is helpful. Um, if you understand how the horse's body works, it gives you a clear idea of how to ask your horse to bend. So, and, and think about it, because even if you're riding down the rail on a straight line and you're bending and flexing your horse, you're essentially riding them on a circle. You're keeping their body in a circular shape as though you're about to ask them to turn on a circle. Um, so, you know, I always recommend, I always recommend to other instructors or when I'm teaching my students this, I always show them pictures of what a horse should look like when they are quote unquote bent. Um, and there's, there's so many great visuals out there. Uh, I think recently on the CHA instructors page, someone posted one that had all these really, really great visuals. Um, and, and I always try to get that image in their head before we teach them things like an indirect rein or bending. Um, bending is one of these things where you don't really want to learn it in the abstract. Um, it should really make sense to you with how the horse's body is shaped and what their biomechanics are. Otherwise, you're going to see that the horse is bent at the neck instead of through the body. And that's, that's not true bending. And that'll be hard to, you know, again, that's that tell. If you have a horse who's just bent through the neck, you're just pulling their face around, then it's going to be really hard to keep that horse going on a circle. Um, so, so yeah, you know, you can learn how to bend first, but just you should always make sure that you understand why and how it works. Very good. Chantel, this was so good. There was so many really good pieces of this and we really appreciate it. And for those listening, you can find her at CHA.horse. All of our instructors are there. You just go to find a instructor near you and type in um, New York or type in a zip code or type in her name and everything will come up about her. Um, and then how else can people find you? Do you have a website? Do you have social media? How does that work? So I have, um, you can find me at csghorses.com. That's my website. Um, I'm on Facebook at CSG Horsemanship. Um, and then if you want like the lighter, fluffier side of what I do, <laughs> there's a lot of cute pony pictures there. Um, you can find me on Instagram at uh, Chantal Sky underscore horses. Um, 
Yeah, that's where you can find me. Very good. Well, we so appreciate you being on today. You had, um, you really explained it well auditorily, right? For people listening and who are more visual, because I could really think about what you were explaining when you were doing it. So thank you so much and enjoy your lake. And again, I'm very jealous that you live in the beautiful part of the country where you live. No worries. Thank you so much. Have a good day. That was fun. (laughs) All right. Talk to you later. Bye. So many exercises. Yet so many more. They're just zillions. Oh, there is so much stuff. And before I forget, I want to mention one more thing. For those that are listening, we do a CHA monthly member chat. So for those that are not members, you can't join us live, but you can certainly get the recording afterwards. And it's going to be tomorrow, and it's going to be Dr. Temple Grandin. And we're so excited to have her on. She has been a speaker for us the last two times that we were here in Colorado. She's been a speaker, and she's just fabulous. Um, And she's going to do 100% Q&A for the whole hour. Uh, So come with questions, and it can be questions about her life. It could be questions about the work she does. She doesn't care. And she'll just answer those questions about a specific animal you have and issues with them, whatever the case may be. So anyone listening that wants to be a part of that, if you're with CHA, just come on over. And if you're not part of CHA, don't worry. There's a place for you. The recording will be available the very next day. So we're excited about that. And you find that where? Uh, CHA.horse. Just go under education and then go to the webinars tab. All right. You can find all that there. So, golly, do you have any more exercises? Can we Do we have f- time for like one more that came out of your little head? I would say just, yeah, a little bit more time for a couple of things. She did a great job. Um, cones, you know, I mean, sorry, circles are just so important and her clock face. I, I love, love that. cones. Yeah. I'm, I'm personally having a love affair with cones right now. Oh, yes. Yeah. And the whole four leaf clover thing with a jump in the middle. I thought that was really cool because now you're entering that jump straight all the time off of a circle. Boy, does that get you to have to use some leg, right? And really yeah. think about what you're doing. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I, and, yeah, I love that because you can just take the same exercise and change it up because let's let's face Correct. it. Students get bored fast. Horses get bored, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So the same old no, four-leaf clover. Really oh, let's put a cross rail in there. Oh, let's put a rail in there. Let's put two barrels in the center of it so you have to get between the barrels because you have a horse who's a little bit uh, squeamish about getting, going through narrow places. Let's say you yes. have students who are not even in the saddle. Horses who can't be ridden right now because there's something going on. You can do that exercise in hand. You can do that exercise sure with long lines. Yeah. Yep. So many things. Now, that was super. And I love her progression. It was very natural. So here's something that I like to do. I think that all we do is reverse by a teardrop. And if you use your arena, oh, my goodness, that is one of the worst ways to reverse. And I know we all do it in the horse show pen because that's what we do. But reality is the long and short diagonal is going to be where you want to do your simple and your flying changes. So from the get-go, I teach long and short diagonal reverse across and the width of the arena reverses. And I always make sure that they understand that long and short diagonal comes from the opposite side of the ring. So I always say, pretend like you're galloping. Could you just go bam? No, because your horse does not know how to pivot yet, nor do you. So it always has to start on the other side because how many people blow that, right? And do that one wrong. So I am a big fan of all those reverses, walk, trot, one day, simple and flying changes through all those. Yes. There we go. Um, it's, it's no stirrup November here. Yes, it is. Yeah. But not everybody can do no stirrups. Not everybody should do no stirrups. So you can Correct. take one out. Yes, you can. Um, and that's actually kind of an interesting process, just to a process of discovery, because it will help you be more um, aware of where you are in space. There's a word for that, and it escapes me at this particular moment. 
by taking one stirrup off, just dropping one stirrup and riding and then picking it back up. Because so Correct. it's it's a, a whole bunch of different skills that you are working with it, the process of dropping your stirrup, the process of riding without the stirrup, and the process of getting it back. There are three Correct. different skill sets for your brain. Definitely. And muscle control. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Very much so. Absolutely. And I'm just going to throw this out there. We actually have a lot of videos. Again, go to cha.horse and click on education and go down to our videos that explain a lot of what we're um, we're talking about today. But there is a difference between two-point half-seat, light-seat, balance position, and standing position. There's a big difference between all that. We're not going to go into great detail here. But whether you ride English or whether you ride Western, all of those positions are useful. Um, Balance position is done always with a stirrup. You basically are standing up in your stirrups. And you're making sure that your leg is underneath you. And if you ride in a chair seat, this will fix you. So that's a really (laughs) good one. Well, it will will show you that. You don't have the appropriate alignment. That's right. Right away. Correct. You can't fake it. Correct. Nope, you sure cannot. And then two point you can do with and without a stirrup, right? Because that's more engagement of your upper thigh and your calf and your abdomen. And then half seat, light seat is not when you're going over the fence, which is what two point is, but it's kind of where your seat bones are just hovering, right? And you're brushing the saddle. And that I like to do on the approach to a fence on a horse that I think might duck out or might stop so that I can go full seated if I need to in order to not fall off. So there's many different things there that are just kind of fun and we have lots of videos on it. So go check that out. Also a very useful skill for trail riders whose primary gait is walk because it will give your horse's back a break and it gives your butt a break. But if you don't do it properly, you may be giving your horse a sore back. So a good place to go, cha.horse, education videos, and Look, learn about what it looks like if you don't take regular riding lessons. Um, you can have somebody on the ground or one of your trail riding buddies watch you so that you can become good at that skill for your benefit and your horses. Very much so. And then serpentines, you know, she kind of went into this a little bit because with the four leaf clover idea, but that's, of course, you normally can get two of them done in in like a three loop serpentine. So two straight lines across the arena. Most arenas will fit that. But then you're going to have like just like a serpent, right? It goes into the corner, across, into the corner, and then into the center, across. And you're working on bend and straightness simultaneously. And that is that's rough. And serpentines are also great because eventually you can do that with a change of diagonal if you're English posting in the middle, or you can do it with a lead change. There we go. I am in love with serpentines for this reason. If you have a horse who is prone to popping out a shoulder, leaning on a shoulder, yes. uh, resistant to lifting off a shoulder, most of the time we can figure out how to get that horse straight. Straight meaning he's carrying weight on all four corners of his body in an appropriate manner for a few strides at a time you get it and then it's gone and then you get it and it's gone the serpentine is your friend because you get it and then you change the bend again before he gets it wrong yeah and i found this to be very very useful for horses who have an ingrained behavior pattern or riders with an ingrained behavior i've been carrying my weight on my right shoulder all the time regardless of what direction i've go for a long long time i'm really good at it so you do use your serpentine as your friend. You get the weight off the right shoulder and onto the left where it belongs so your horse is balanced. You carry it there for three or four steps and then let him go back to where he's familiar. Yep. And then carry it for three or four steps and then back to where he's familiar. So you help to break that looping pattern, that that ingrained behavior. So serpentines are your friend, whether they are the kind that are deep 
and use the entire the arena or the ones that are more shallow that might use a set of cones in a straight line where your direction change is more subtle. So yay, serpentines. I agree. And you mentioned cones. And of course, so did Chantel. Cones are your friend. Just buy the little tiny ones. You can get them a lot of different places. It gives your horse a visual and you a visual. I love putting them, like you said, Jen, to weave. I love putting them so that you go deep in the corner. How many of us yeah, cut out that corner? Good idea, good idea. And if you put them in between the corner and the the, the horse will naturally understand after a while, yes. that you want them to go in between that spot and it'll yeah. help you get deeper in the corners. Yeah. And then, of course, you can use them for circles in a clock, like Chantel mentioned, or you can put them to together and you go through them obviously if you put two together at every quarter so you do you know 12 3 6 and 9 you can certainly do it that way and then um you can make that smaller and smaller and smaller as you go so that eventually you're working on that whole idea of going into a small space too definitely and who doesn't love a ground pole love them yeah Uh, you can put those in the corners too instead of a cone you can Absolutely. put the ground poles in the corner yeah. um, and then you can go over them in the middle. I like using uneven numbers. I like using three, five, seven, nine, because I just feel like the horse starts and ends better. You know, most of us, what do you do? You put your right leg in your pants and then you step with the right leg first when you go upstairs. Those kinds of things happen with a horse too. So if you use an odd number of poles, they seem to work it out better where they end up, you know, lifting off with both. Interesting. What I found. Would not have thought of that. There we go. And, uh, of course, there's leg yielding, right? Oh, yes. Um, Called two-track and western for those that want to get really terminology specific. There we go. Um, And you can combine your leg yielding, your ground poles, and your cones. Oof, you sure can. Super fun. There we go. And And there's a lot of this. There's a lot of that. Um, And there's... Mm -hmm. You've got leg yielding, and then you move into more advanced lateral work. You've got side Correct. passes and turns on the forehand and turns on the haunches. And you can do them in, doing them in different places in the arena, whether you're near a rail or not, um, can have a, a an interesting effect on both the horse and the rider. So try them in lots of different places. I agree with that. And always start off, though, on the rails that you have a blockade, right, for one part of the body, and then eventually move into the middle, because a little bit harder to start in the middle. You're like, ah, what am I going? What am I doing? Yeah. So a little bit like that. And you can also use the ground pole to side pass over. A lot of you have seen that in trail And that can be, for for particularly for a horse who has an English background, that can be a tough, tough concept. Yes. (laughs) Because visually, that's not what happens to a rail. You're supposed to go over it. Yeah, so Correct. if you have a horse that's primarily ridden English or a rider that primarily rides, rides English, don't be surprised if that's a little bit more of a challenge and be patient and let that soak in and let them try it a step at a time. Something that I I do with Nigel because he was ridden English first. Um, I let him step across it and we were going to side pass off of it again. I started very close so that he stepped across front feet in front, back feet on either side. So you know, he literally had to take two steps to the left or the right to get the pole out of his way because starting in the middle where he had to take four steps to get rid of the pole was too much. It was overwhelming. Yeah. And he's like, ah, the, the, you know, the, the head started to spin. So if you've not done that before, take it in, in baby steps. 
Very much so. And then for another day, but good to mention, eventually everyone, I don't care if you ride Western or English, shoulders in and haunches in is your friend. It'll really get you to balance your horse better for transitions upward and downward. It'll get you eventually to be super fancy and get to do half pass, which is like yield with opposite bend, right? All kinds of cool stuff that you can eventually do. But that's that's for another day of explanation because they're a little bit challenging. But if you want to dive right in now, go to our website because they're on there. And um, you can also go ahead and watch our international conference with our uh, lady that did the half pass, Joanne Young, right on our international conference. So lots of education, no matter what level of rider you are, um, a beginner that's just starting your journey or an expert that's been doing it for years. There we go. Tons of that stuff and more. And to find links to this and all the other good stuff for today's episode, you're going to go to horsesinthemorning.com. The episode is for November 17th, 2020. And you can follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. Go to Facebook and search for Horses in the Morning. Our handle on Twitter is Horse Radio. Uh, if you haven't done this already, go download the for- free Horse Radio Network app. Just go to your app store for your iPhone or your Android and search Horse Radio Network. Our app is free and easy to use. And you can also listen to this e- these episodes on any of your favorite podcatchers, including Spotify and iTunes. Thank you very much to the CHA for making this happen. Such a fun day. Such Loved a it. fun day. Uh, CHA.horse. That's where you go for all the information you need. And we will be seeing you again next month, Christy. Yes, looking forward to it, Jen. Thanks. Thanks. 